Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ray Silva from South Texas Border Sports. Today, I am being joined by RGV FC Toros President, Ron Patel. Ron, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well, as well as can be expected during these strange times, right? Yes, definitely. So I just wanted to uh, jump uh, jump course uh into the your, your start you started out in new mexico you started out uh with the albuquerque soul you start uh, you were one of the founding members of that team and then new mexico united comes along um what what was that experience like tr uh, trying to build a uh, soccer into a into a into the state of new mexico uh, which uh, Really, you just had the big universities, and now you're just now trying to build something solid here in the RGV. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, you know, New Mexico is a special place, and, and I had 16 great years living in, in the great state of New Mexico. Uh, moved there when I was 24 and, uh, and was working for a, a small retail company and then started my own business in 2006 when I uh, just turned 26 years old, did my own business for 10 years. And then along the way, soccer was always the passion. So it started an amateur team called the Albuquerque Soul. We played in the PDL, which is now USL League Two. And uh, played, uh, started our first year, uh, bought the franchise in 2013. We played our first year in 2014. Knew absolutely nothing about running a soccer franchise. You know, big, big fan of soccer. And I'd played a little bit as a kid and still played recreationally, still do to this day. Uh, but didn't know what I was doing when it came to running a soccer club. So learned the hard way, jumped in the deep end. And now, uh, and now, as you treachered along in in, in New Mexico, uh, since I, I my, my soccer experience uh, prior to doing anything with Toros, I, I did a, a lot of the indoor soccer here uh, locally because we've had like three different, uh, four different franchises, and now this last one that. Uh, They've they've gone on hiatus now, and and I think with this recent stuff, I, I I don't foresee indoor soccer coming back. And then the Toros come along, and I've like adjusted my my fandom into more of a media thing. But talk about what's been, what's the transition been like uh, coming from New Mexico into the Rio Grande Valley, uh, trying to enhance the uh, soccer experience. Yeah, I think, you know, and I've said this from day one, I didn't come into this, this good jobs thinking I knew it all just because I'd done it and been successful in another state. Um, doesn't mean I take for granted that I'm going to be successful here. And I take that real seriously. I look at this as not a job, but really I look at it as a, uh, an honor, a privilege to bring professional soccer to a community. And I don't take the responsibility lightly. And, and, you know, in New Mexico, I started that amateur team in, in 2013, we started playing 2014, it it, uh, it did well. I started the professional New Mexico United team in 2018. I uh, actually bought the franchise at the end of 2017, but in 2018, started play last year in 2019. So I'd, I'd been through the experience of two startup soccer teams. Um, and uh, But it, it this stuff takes work. It, it doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just say you got a soccer team and everybody shows up to the stadium. So being able to uh, play on that experience, you know, the best advice someone ever gave me is don't take advice from anybody, but learn from other people's experiences in your own. And so I've had the experiences of, of starting two teams from scratch, 
Um, and then now I come in, I take the experiences I learned there and how do I apply that to, to my role here? And I think, you know, the Valley's had this team now for just the fifth year and we have this beautiful stadium. I put it on my virtual background, of course, but this beautiful stadium and the beautiful place to call home. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of work to be done in connecting the team with the people. And, and that's really what I'm doing now. And it's, it's tough with COVID, of course, to be able to go out and do that and shake hands and drink a pint of beer with someone and talk soccer. Uh, but that's the job that, that, that needs to be done. And that's what I'm doing now. So I'm doing what I can during COVID to get ourselves organized and be ready uh, for the comeback of soccer. And uh, let's call it maybe the next generation of the Toros here in the Valley uh, I'm going to do everything I can to connect with as many people as possible and uh, and see what it is we can do to be the Valley's team. And now the, the Toros Academy, they've recently were named one of the uh, 90-plus teams into the MLS uh, Super Academy to build the, new, the newer prospects of American soccer. How does that help you as – as the process just goes along to try to um, continue the growth in the U.S. I mean, it, it, it's had a lot of building stones. Then the, the USS uh, DA is shuts down and then the Toros are provided uh, one of those opportunities to provide prospects uh, for United States soccer in general. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's great to know that there's a, a team from the Valley that can, that can play um, in that in that elite level league, I forget what they're calling it now, the elite player league or, or the elite, I forget what they call it. But, uh, you know, in, in New Mexico for many years, there were clubs there that tried to get DA status and could never quite get it. Geography was a challenge. New Mexico is a huge state and there really wasn't any other DAs and you have to travel all the time. So it became like a cost thing. Um, so when I got here and saw the affiliation that we have with the Toros Youth Club um, and the Academy, it's just, it's awesome to see. Um, but but I'm also trying to learn as much as I can about um, everything in the in the youth soccer marketplace here. And I, what I'm noticing is the level of talent here is incredibly good. And where I came from in New Mexico, we had we had some great players, absolutely. Um, but when I look around here and I see the talent that has come out of here in the past, and I see the talent that's here now, um, and it seems like, and again, I haven't had much time here because I'm in my first you know few months <laughs> of living here. It seems like there's people playing soccer on every corner in the valley. And, and I love it. And it's what I, you know, I, what I grew up with. I grew up in England and I grew up around the game of soccer and people playing on every corner. So every kid played, we called it football, of course, in England. So the, to see the level of talent that's here is super, super encouraging. And I just want to know how, how do we do more for that? How do we give resources and support to all the soccer players in the Valley? Mm. And now, which moves me to my uh, next topic, uh, it just seems that right now with the ongoing uh, pandemic, um, with everything being shut down, there have been many discussions with the league, whether to play in one place or try to regionalize the sport, whether it be a group of bunch of teams and play amongst each other. Uh, do you have any update as to how – how that process is coming along? No update, really. I mean, what I'll share is ideas that have been thrown out there. So there's there's ideas. Obviously, of a shortened season, it's going to be hard to get a 34-game season in, um, given the time restraints now, and, and everything's really got to be done by uh, November 30th is when the latest you could possibly play, because that's when the players' contracts expire. 
But uh, I, there's the option of a shortened season. There's the option of this pod concept that's been thrown around um, that where you would uh, multiple teams would travel to one venue. So if we were to host one of these, we could have four different teams that would come to our venue play different games. I, I think that'd be awesome too. I just want to play soccer again, right? I just want to see yes. the ball on the field and, and, and get to watch the game we all love. Um, but unfortunately, there's, it's really hard to tell which way the owners are going to vote um, and, and what to do. And I think really the main reason is the, the, the primary uh, concern has to be the health and safety of, of the players, the staff, and then, of course, the, the fans that would come to watch this. So we've got to make we've got to be responsible in the decisions that we make. We all want to get back on the pitch. Absolutely. And of course, the players have started individualized training now, uh, not small group training yet, just individual training as we record this podcast on the 21st. But um, it's, it's great to see the training game, but we want to make sure we do it in a, in a, in a healthy, safe and responsible manner. And what precautions has the club been taking to make sure that a lot of these players uh, show up in a, in a uh, healthy environment? Uh, that way, no no one else gets uh, infected or or anything of that nature. What what steps has the club been implemented since then? Yeah, so at HEB Park, um, we, we've we've still had housekeepers and operation staff employed throughout the pandemic. Um, it, it is deemed an essential business because there's a facility that needs to run. You can't just lock the doors and come back two months later. There's stuff to take care of, there's stuff to make sure the building keeps working. Um, so we've been working and, and keeping everything clean. And then when we couldn't have more people in the building, we've even still continued to clean it. Uh, now that we're starting to come back from this, we have um, lots of opportunity to remain, uh, sorry, to keep the, the facilities in a, in a clean environment. Currently the players, the way they're training is they're going out to the training fields directly. They're not going to the locker rooms where they could come into contact with other things. So they come out of their car, they go straight to the training field. We have three training fields. It's, it's split into quadrants of four. So you've got 12 players that can train at one time and they stay in their, in their corner of the field. The coaches walk around and direct. And they do these little exercises, the same thing, but it's great. While it's not soccer, it's still a great first step. And then as we start coming back to small group training uh, and things, we'll, we're gonna be doing that. But we're taking precautions. They're provided with masks, provided with uh, sanitization, um, you know, the balls are wiped out. Everything is just clean, 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 clean to, to keep them as safe as possible. And now just uh, mo moving along now, just going off topic. Um, sure. I'm a, I'm an indoor soccer guy, as I mentioned earlier. Um, what do you know about the New Mexico runners organization? We, um, that that's w one of the things that I, I grew up uh, endeared with their club because of the way uh, they would run their, their social media. How, how familiar are you with the uh, New Mexico runners? Yeah. Andres Trujillo, who's the owner of the runners, good friend of mine. We go back many, many years. Um, he was around at the beginning of the soul, even helped out at the beginning of the soul to get the, the team launched. Uh, Andres has got a good heart and he is really smart. Uh, he's very talented and he's in his second year that got cut short, unfortunately. I mean, he called me before he started it, said, I got this idea to do indoor soccer. I said, I think it's amazing. Um, soccer at any level needs to grow, whether it's youth soccer, professional soccer, indoor or outdoor. Um, and there were actually a, a lot of players on that team that also played on the Soul, which was the team I'd started back in 2014. So that was a moment of pride for me. But he did a great job with the game day experience. It was really exciting. One of the one of my fondest memories of opening night was going and seeing like three of the guys that formerly played for the Soul now playing for the Runners, and you would score a goal, 
and then the bench is clear and they jump out of the bench and start jumping to celebrate the goal. And like, it's not traditional what we, what we're used to because mm-hmm. um, it's on an outdoor field. And sometimes the subs will get involved in a goal, but the whole bench just cleared. And even the coach and, and the coach of the runners, Steve Femaletta, great guy, Steve, if you're listening to this podcast, miss you, man. Uh, he's, he's had some, some health challenges lately. So I'm, I'm rooting for him. Um, but he was a, a USL hall of famer. Actually, he played for the USL for many years now coaches the runners and Steve even cleared the bench with the players. And I never forget seeing Steve run over and ah, celebrating the goal. You know, it's, it's part of the, one of the great things about the game of soccer is the celebration of the goal. And, and the whole team got to do that as well. You know, now having been involved with the United soccer league, how instrumental have, have they been just uh, trying to keep a, a lot of, a lot of the minor league uh, uh, markets to try to stay put in, in order from being poached from uh, from being poached to MLS markets, how how proactive have they been? In your opinion, I wouldn't say they're being proactive in like protecting the markets per se. Um, I think the USL does a fantastic job, and I've done a lot of things the right way. And you know, when I when I started the Soul back in 2013, I remember going to that first conference. Uh, they do a conference every year in December for all the, all the teams. And, and back then the PDL, now League Two, now League One and, and Championship. So back then it was called USL Pro and then there was the PDL. And there was about 60 or 70 PDL teams. That's all, that number's always stayed about the same. But there were 12 USL Pro teams at that first conference. And then I saw it grow year over year over year. And now you go there and there's 35 USL Championship teams, 12 League One teams, and still about 75 League Two teams. And what used to be just one guy representing a team would go to the conference. Now you've got teams bringing 10, 15 front office staff members. So it's, it's basically a big soccer convention with all the people that are there. So they do a great job of unifying uh, the USL and, and uh, not to correct you, but I don't like to use the word minor league a lot because, you know, for this community, mm-hmm. um, we are the professional team in this town. And we, we don't bring a minor league product. I want, I strive to bring a professional product. Gotcha. And when we use the term minor league, um, I, I think it downgrades what the product could be. Mm-hmm. And it, so I like to refer to it as professional soccer. Same in New Mexico. People would mm-hmm. say, oh, this is not MLS. Well, look, you know what? We don't, nobody necessarily needs MLS. Nobody necessarily needs USL championship. People just need a professional team to root for to, you know, the, the role of our team can be different based on the market. I look at it as bringing people together in a unique way and providing inspiration for our youth and providing our kids with heroes and providing our kids with things to look up to and look forward to so they make better positive decisions along the way through the game. And, and we just need to do that. And it doesn't matter what league you play in. It could be NISA. It could be uh, UPSL. It could be MPSL. It doesn't matter. Let's provide that for our communities. And that's what the game of soccer does and why it's so beautiful. Uh, definitely. And now you just mentioned uh, League One having uh, 12 teams. Uh, you've you've run a, a, a League Two team already. Do you do you kind of see Albuquerque Soul making that jump from two from League Two to League One to kind of like add a little bit more to the uh, to the western side of the markets uh, for League One, or is that just something that's a little far fetched right now? Just keep uh, just as a, as a soccer state in general, I mean, I'm just trying to p- pick your brains here uh, because I know there's there's been some chatter about relegation promotion, but the, right now 
League One, it just doesn't have the stronghold of franchise as the championship does. Well, how do you see League One playing out, like, in the future? Yeah, so to answer your first question, unfortunately, the Albuquerque Soul is no longer around. The team dissolved after the 2018 season. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was sad. Um, but, uh, but this year, New Mexico United, seeing the, the absence um, of the Soul, did put a team in, uh, called the New Mexico United U23s into League Two, but, of course, the season didn't start because of COVID. So next year, there will be a League Two team which is the New Mexico United U23s. I don't see a League One team going in New Mexico. I don't think it would fit that market. If it would, it would probably make sense in Las Cruces, which is in the southern part of the state near El Paso. Um, But then I think that territory is part of El Paso's territory. So it would have to be an El Paso uh, League One team, which might be far-fetched as well. Um, However, I think League One is, again, remember where I came from, right? I came from England. So I, I lived in a town called Chester. I think I've told you this story before. Yes. I, I lived in Colchester. It was 20 minutes away from Liverpool. And I'm a diehard Liverpool fan, but I'm also a Chester fan because Chester was my local community team. And now they play in like the sixth tier of English soccer. And with promotion and relegation, they, if they win, they can move their way up. And by the way, I'm a, uh, a charter member of Chester. I bought my membership. So I own a little piece of the club. Got nice. like 20. <laughs> but if you look at my Twitter page, you'll see that I'm a proud shareholder of uh, Chester, Chester FC. That's awesome. So, reason I tell you that story is I think it's awesome to have teams at the different levels of soccer. And again, one, one team doesn't make it better than another because Mm -hmm. it's in league, right? That's more of the business aspect and the competition aspect. But the fact is what do soccer teams do for communities? We talked about this already, right? How do we, how do we be that, that, uh, that source of positive positivity to its community? And that's what soccer teams should do. So league one gets to reach markets, the USL championship or MLS, typically can't reach there's people in those markets let's take a look at um uh chattanooga chattanooga (laughs) has a league one team let's take a look at uh, the tormenta fc that's in south georgia in uh statesboro georgia that could not support as far as i know a usl championship or mls team based on the, the cost of the franchise how much the revenue needs to be and all that stuff but now there's professional soccer in those marketplaces um and you've got uh chattanooga also has a really successful team in uh nissa as well so you've got two teams now in Chattanooga instead of just, you know, one, one uh, first division professional team. You look at Tucson. They have a league, a league one team now. Tucson was a very successful League Two market. They were Albuquerque sold. They were our rival. We had a, we had a, a rivalry trophy called the, the Golden Rattler that we competed with, with FC Tucson on for many, many years. And so now you've got professional League One soccer in Tucson as well. So you've got these markets that typically, if you wanted to support professional soccer, you'd have to travel to another market. Well, now you have it in your market and at a, at a very high level. So I think it's wonderful. And uh, who knows, right? I mean, I I've grew up watching promotion and relegation. I don't know why it wouldn't work within the system that USL has. I think it's something that I'd love to see tried. I couldn't tell you exactly how to do it, but if there's a way to try to figure it out and, you know, there's some smart people at the league offices that, that uh, could probably try to figure that thing out. All right. Uh, that's, that's a really uh, intelligent response there. I mean, it, I mean, it's just uh, things that I just uh, come across the internet, like, Hey, USL needs this. USL needs that. But Ron, uh, appreciate the time. I, I, I will leave you with this question. Sure. Does the premier league resume? And of course, Liverpool fan here, they'll win it. But, What's going to be the margin of points between second place and first place? Whew. 
That's that's a bold question. Um, how many games do we have left? We have six games left, I think. Yeah, one to clinch. But then, yeah, one, is it one to clinch or two? It's been so long. It's just, yeah, it's just, I think it's one to clinch. I mean, any Manchester City loss and the Liverpool win just pretty much clears it. Right, because we lost to Watford in that last game. And uh, don't don't bring can, up Watford. If I can just give a shout out real quick, Go we ahead. formed a group here in the RGV called the RGV Reds. Yes, I love that. Liverpool supporters group. So um, I participated in the same kind of thing back in New Mexico. So we got got together with a couple guys here that I knew were Liverpool fans, and we started the group. So if there's Liverpool fans that listen to the podcast, go to Facebook. There's a Facebook group called RGV Reds. Request in there. We'd love to have you and, and watch games when it's safe, of course. Uh, but to answer your question, Ray, 20-point uh, differential i think is gonna 20 happen. point differential yeah that's what that's what i kind of figured i mean it's just that liverpool's just so far ahead from everybody that yeah that's just let, let uh any one victory or any one loss for man city and it's over it's over yeah, for everyone I, I tell people that uh that i was the bad luck charm because the last the last year i lived in england was the last year that England won the first division. That was before the Premier League. Yeah. And I've been gone 30 years. They haven't won the league since. So, um, oh boy, the bad charm is the bad luck run is over, and and it looks really good. I can't. I, I'll probably cry on that day. I'll tell you that right now. Um, you know, that was you know, uh, I I I will leave you with this. Like every time we have a home game, and it's a one goal difference, or it's a or it's a scoreless game or a tied game. Uh, between uh, Down in the Valley host Edson Ochoa and I, we share this little line called "A ver si no pasa la tragedia," and and it's and it's happened quite a few times. Like, don't let tragedy strike, where the opposing team either scores a late equalizing goal or a backbreaking goal to uh, steal three points from us. And yep. and I've been a culprit of it. I, I'm not gonna lie; it's it's happened to me twice at H B Park. Uh Edson he's uh, he's preferred to stay away but yeah he, he will he will chip in. But uh Ron I appreciate the time. Uh, many many thanks and uh hope to uh speak to you soon. Hey thanks for covering the team and, and including me in this. I'm I'm honored. Anything I can do to help out the show please let me know. All right. Thank you so much. Hello, sports fans of the Rio Grande Valley. This is your host, Ray Silva of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. If you like this episode, please tune in to our Anchor FM webpage as well as our Spotify webpage to listen to more of our episodes. And don't forget to visit our social media platforms on facebook.com forward slash South Texas Border Sports and on Twitter. Just search for Ray Silva of Pro Sports RGV.